Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lords of Limited M20 Crash Course. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, are you ready to talk M20? Yeah, I am. Are you, Mr. You Labeled Our Show Notes M19 Crash Course? I was really ashamed when you called me out on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) You just loved M19 so much. You were hoping to go back there once again. It took me a second, too. I looked and I was like, I don't see what's going on here. And then then I saw it. (laughs) But yes, I am all ready for the M20 crash course. Did my full set review with Semulin on stream on Friday. The set looks pretty sweet. I'm excited to dive into it with you. Yeah, it looks a little more flexible than a normal course set. I think the draft is going to be pretty deep. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so no trophy leaderboard to check in on here for this week, but we do have a little bit of business to talk about. And the first things first is going to be talking about the Lords of Limited Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can give back to the show if you so choose. The show is always going to be free, but we do like to give folks access to the Lords of Limited Discord when they do decide to sign up for the Patreon. And this is the time to get in on that Discord. The start of a new set, we say it every time, but when a new set comes out, We are just feasting on spoilers, figuring out what to do. People are already doing like draft simulations, maybe even playing their decks on like cockatrice or stuff like that. Really awesome to get people's feedback. And we're going to break the format like we did with War of the Spark. Yeah, I'm looking forward to crushing this format. I will say there's a new feature in the Discord with a fire emoji for active channels. So one of our users, our tech support guy, Draken, made a bot that whenever someone posts in a channel within 10 minutes, like if it's been within at least the last 10 minutes, there's a little fire emoji that appears there, which is just awesome. It has actively ramped up my use of the Discord because I just know I can go talk to someone when I see that little fire emoji, which is insane. And as you said, beginning of the set, best time to get in. Yeah, I think you and I had the same reaction to that, the fire emoji, like active channel thing, which was so it came up, we have one of our sections is a channel suggestions channel where people can post like things that they'd like to see. And this was something where I was like, I don't know, that doesn't sound useful. But maybe it's something that is possible. And maybe Draken can work on it. And he did. And it's so cool. Like now it really does make a difference to be to know that you can go and actually interact with someone. Whereas other before you had to go and see like, well, when was this message posted? And oh, it's too late. Like they probably already played their draft deck, yada, yada, yada. It's very, very cool. Patreon is very cool. Discord is awesome. And the first week of people signing up for the Patreon, we want to make sure we shout them out. So we got some folks to welcome this week. Welcome to Garrett, Peter, Nathan, John, Kai, Felix, Patrick, and Ricardo. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support. 
Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. And I will say the other sweet thing about the Discord that I've seen is people were starting to adopt www.17lands.com. Yeah. Get a few people post rankings of the entire set already in there. It's really awesome. You can go in the tool and it has a, an entire list of all the cards that's sortable. Like you can click and drag the cards into your grades. And so like Ari Lax, Alex, Corticals have done some of those. And just looking at those was super helpful. So cannot say enough good things about the Discord at the start of a format. I think I'm going to do that too. I think I want to do that because like we have all our letter grades anyway. So I feel like I might as well make it nice and, and visually appealing. Right. I think we should do that for the podcast. Yeah, that's what I thought when I saw that. I was like, yeah. wow, this is awesome. We need yeah. to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. So very, very sweet things happening out of that Patreon. We are also recently sponsored by Coalesce Apparel and Design, Cedric Phillips' new MTG apparel company. And we've been partnering with them to produce Lords of Limited t-shirts. And as of the release of this episode, those should be going live early July and be available on their website, coalesceapparel.shop. So super excited that Lords of Limited merchandise is going to be available to the world. And you should head on over there and check it out and get some Lords of Limited swag. Yeah, I am very excited to stock up on some t-shirts and uh, start gifting them. I'm going to make sure that my wife has a shirt that says I'm with Ethan. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. That's going to be one sale there. But I think I'm going to be sporting an I'm with Ben shirt. I think that's how I got to roll. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to be sporting an I'm with Ethan shirt. We also have a gift code for all of you to use over at coalesceapparel.shop, which is L-O-L to get 10% off your order, which can be applied to any apparel on the website, not just Lords of Limited merchandise. And again, that code is LOL. So make sure you head over to coalesceapparel.shop again and check out all of their unique designs. Don't forget to choose your side, hashtag I'm with Ben or hashtag I'm with Ethan, and pick up your Lords of Limited t-shirt today. All right. So for folks who are joining us for the first time, we do things a little differently here on Lords of Limited. We're not doing a card by card set review evaluation. What we're going to be doing is talking a lot about big picture stuff. So we're going to be looking at stats of commons and uncommons. We're going to talk about important things for Limited, like what the removal looks like, what the combat tricks look like, what mechanics or what sort of themes there are between cards. And Ben and I have separately gone through and graded each card in the set. And so what we're going to do instead of talking about each card, we're going to talk about each card where we have two gradations or more of a difference in our grade so like if i gave something a c and ben gave it a b we're going to talk about that and try and like see if we can convince the other person that we're right and i think that's going to you know illuminate a lot of the more difficult to evaluate cards and then we're going to do my favorite thing at the end which is compare our top three commons in each color and our top two uncommons in each color Yeah, so without further ado, let's kick things off on the grading scale. This is the limited resources grading scale, and we're going to start with the A's. Those are bombs, game winners, good in many situations, especially when behind some of the best cards in the set, bomb rares, and hyper-efficient spells, such as Liliana Dreadhorde General, Ugin the Ineffable, Enter the God Eternals, and Time Hoip. (laughs) Well done, sir. Well done. (laughs) B-grade cards, these are strong cards that pull you into a color slash make you want to play that color, reasons to be in a particular color. I mean, we always talk about like the B-minus, C-plus difference, I think is probably the biggest difference because that's once you're getting into the cards that pull you into that color. So these are like the best commons and good uncommons. Think about Angrath, Captain of Chaos, Ral's Outburst, Obnixilis' Cruelty, and Jaya's Greeting. Moving on to your C's, the solid playables, the meat and potatoes of any limited deck. They're very interchangeable, average creatures, normal removal spells, such as Divine Arrow, Thunder Drake, Spark Reaper, and Honor the God Pharaoh. 
D's, these are sometimes playable. I like to think of these as below replacement. These are like your 22nd, 23rd type cards, pretty interchangeable. Often cards you're hoping to not run, but sometimes reluctantly do. Ward Scale Crocodile, Goblin Assailant, Crush Descent, and Charm Stray. Did you like that I snuck that one on there? No, because this is not accurate. It's not, a, it's not a D card. It's a synergy card or a build around or whatever. <laughs> you don't just jam a Charm Stray in your deck. Your Fs, your unplayables, cards you should never put in your deck, or weird rares, Neoform, and Emergence Zone. We've got some variations on grades as well that we're going to be rolling through here. First of which is sideboard cards. So cards that don't make the main deck, but when you board them in can be quite good. So some cards from War of the Spark are Elder Spell, Forced Landing, and Return to Nature. Build around cards, cards that don't do much on their own, but when you build around them can be good to great such as Kiora Behemoth Beckoner, Cyclops Electromancer, Invade the City, Huatli Sun's Heart, and Sahili Sublime Artificer. And synergy cards. So these are cards that aren't like good enough to build around, but provide good synergy if they're in the right deck. So you think about Sky Theater Strix or Grim Initiate or Bond of Insight. And, you know, I'm loath to like add more of these. But as I was going through the grades for these cards, a lot of them, two additional things came up. And I wonder if I want to float some things by you here on the fly. One was like cards that feels like it's going to be this level grade, but you don't need to pick it at that level kind of card, you know, because like, you know, you'll get it or like you only want one. And I don't know how to think about cards like that. And also cards where you're like, it's this grade, but it has diminishing returns. Like the first copy is a C, but the second copy is a D plus stuff like that. I don't know how to Ooh. how to do those things. You know, I think we can make some new categories. So now we're just going to have two letters ahead of every letter grade that we have in our spreadsheet. <laughs> well, that can only provide more context. That's got to be great, right? DR for diminishing returns. I think that would be awesome for a card like Magmatic Sinkhole from Modern Horizons. Yeah, though Sam Black would have something to say about that. He would, but I, I would say Sam Black would be wrong. And I'd probably <laughs> be wrong for saying that, but that's what I'd say. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we'll uh, we'll toy with that for the next crash course. Moving on to mechanics, there are no new mechanics in Core 2020. That was something they did in Core 19, and they decided they liked that and kept that moving forward. So we have one returning mechanic. This has been a pretty big deal. They're bringing back protection from color, so protection from blue, protection from red, whatever. And there's a few things you need to remember with that. There's an acronym, DEBT, D-E-B-T, like you owe someone money. And that stands for the D is can't be damaged, E is the can't be enchanted, B can't be blocked, and T is can't be targeted by things of that color. So protection from blue can't be targeted, enchanted, damaged, or blocked by blue things. There is also something very exciting coming along with M20, which is that the London Mulligan is back and here to stay, baby. Thank goodness. Yeah, so is this going live with it both on Arena and MTGO? I believe that's the plan with the release of Core 2020. That's so awesome. And we should also say, I think it'll it's just going to be sweet, but it'll be done by the time that this episode is released, is that we are both doing the Watsi sponsored, hashtag sponsored, uh, arena preview event, which is going to be tomorrow, July 1st. So at the day that this episode comes out, I believe we'll probably both have streamed, but we're going to get access to getting our hands on these cards super duper early on arena, thanks to Wizard of the Coast uh, allowing us to participate in that event. So that's going to be sweet. And I think, I think draft is going to be available this time. I've heard rumors of that. Yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that. So we're going to have some early draft analysis for you next week. Moving on to stats. We're going to jam a bunch of stats here about creatures, CMC, removal, things like that, just to try to get a picture of sort of what's going on in the format. So first thing we're going to take a look at is 
the power and toughness of creatures at common. So there are 58 total creatures at common in the set. The average power for those creatures is 2.43, and the average toughness is 2.76. And in comparison, War was 2.45 and 2.93. So almost the exact same average power as War of the Spark, and just slightly bigger butts in War of the Spark than there are in M20. The mode, or the most often used numbers in the power and toughness, were 2-2. So most creatures are a 2-2. And the range of power and toughness, power ranges from 0 to 7, and toughness ranges from 1 to 7. And that's largely thanks to Vorscht Claw, which is this 7-7 dumb vanilla replacement for Colossal Dreadmaw. Except it's an elemental, which is relevant. Moving on to the uncommon creatures, there are 48 total creatures at uncommon. The average power is 2.5. One seven, and the average toughness is 2.3. In comparison to War of the Spark, it was a slightly bigger on both sides, 2.33 power and 2.67 toughness. So seeing just creatures on average being smaller than they were in War of the Spark. The mode is two, barely. It's one more than one, which is kind of crazy. So that makes me think that we're going to see a lot of utility creatures if they're so small, or maybe like creatures that can get bigger, but that's pretty small for uncommons. Like you would expect to see them be a little pushed. Oh, it's two, one. Yeah. Whoa. Okay, so the mode is two, one, but it looks like the power is barely two. It's one more than one. That's crazy. That's so small. So the mode was almost a one, one. We've not seen that before ever. It's always two, two. Teeny tiny creatures at Uncommon. That's crazy. Okay. And the range is one to five, one to five for power and toughness. In war, it was zero to six and one to five. So it's sort of similar there. But that's really crazy to me that that mode stat is uh, really interesting. Yeah, and then taking a look at the common and uncommon creatures together, there's 106 creatures total at common and uncommon, and 67 of those 106 creatures have power 2 or less, 58 have toughness 2 or less, and 24 of those 106 creatures have toughness 1. So almost 1 out of every 4 cards in the set, maybe a little closer to 1 out of every 5, have toughness 1. Moving on to the CMC stats, the average is 3.27, which is just slightly more than War of the Spark, which is 3.14, and slightly less and Ravnak Allegiance, which is 3.46. The mode is three, but again, barely by one. It's one more than two. War of the Spark was three. Ravnak Allegiance was two. And the range is one to seven, where War just was one to six. So, you know, it, it, we're looking at mostly very similar stats to what we've seen in the past, except for this uh, this outlier of the small creatures that uncommon. Yeah, it's starting to make me the number of X1s running around that seem to be obviously if you're an uncommon and you have one toughness, I assume you're doing something pretty good. It's making me wonder if Heart Piercer Bow is going to be main deckable. That's the equipment that when a creature attacks deals one damage to target creature defending player controls. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends. Like, I just want to avoid playing those X1s, except some of them are so good. Like, they've got such good activated abilities. Yep. So I went through and compiled uh, all the removal. So we've got our spreadsheet of grades that's also going to have all the removal listed and what it kills and all the combat tricks and and what they do. So you can have that as a uh, reference point. So from that removal spreadsheet, there are 27 total removal spells at common or uncommon. War had 30. And now, so I counted counter spells in blue, but didn't count on summon because I felt like that was a combat trick. But counting counter spells is also a little bit loose. But I never know where to to put those because like they're not quite tricks, they're not quite removal. So I put them in removal this time around. 2.7 is the average removal spell cost, which again is slightly more than it was in War and slightly less than Ravnica Allegiance. There are 16 removal spells at common and 11 at uncommon. And I think some noteworthy things to think about is that it is stacked 
in red and black. So 13 of the 27 removal spells were red and black. And red has quite a, a few. And the interesting thing is usually we have like a small red kill spell and a big red kill spell, you know? Here we have a two damage, a four damage, and a five damage spell all at common from red. And black has two kill anything spells at common in murder, which is one black black, instant destroy target creature. And bone splinters, which is single black sorcery, additional cost to cast it is sacrifice a creature and then you kill another creature all five colors have what we're terming like enemy color hosers at uncommon so uh, each you know black is going to have a removal spell it's one and a black to kill a creature or planeswalker that's white or green so it's like two enemy colors it's gonna be attacking so those are going to be really you know strong sideboard cards blue has two counter spells at common which is kind of interesting white and blue both have enchantment based removal and there's no oblivion ring variant no prison realm kind of card at uncommon a sort of catch-all removal spell from white white and green both have naturalize effects like destroy target artifact or enchantment effects at common and there's not a lot of combat tricks and they're mostly concentrated in white and green and you can see those all in the spreadsheet yeah i think the thing that stands out to me most when i look at the removal and the the cmc of creatures is that again we look like we're trading up on mana generally when you look at the the cost of the removal versus the cost of the creatures. War had some pretty excellent removal, and the average cost of removal in M19 is very similar to the average cost of removal in War, and you do look like you're getting a mana advantage. So 2.7 average CMC for your removal spell, and 3.27 average CMC for creatures. And there is some efficient removal at common in M20, which you would not expect, I don't think, necessarily in a core set, but I think it's part of this fire philosophy that Wizards has moving forward where they've talked about they want it to be fun, replayable, like it's an acronym. But part of that acronym is they're trying to push the power level of the commons. And I think maybe making a return to a little bit more efficient removal that leads to better gameplay and better play patterns. And that's one of the reasons they talked about murder being in the set as part of that fire philosophy. Yeah, I mean, murder, Chandra's outrage, pacifism is back. Like, how many sets have we seen luminous bonds? It, when we did the set review with uh, Travis on stream on Friday, someone was like, is this just a better luminous bonds? Which one is a funny way to think of it, because I always think of luminous bonds as a worse pacifism. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, that's, we've not seen pacifism at common or even reprinted in quite a while. Yeah, so just a cool thing to take a look at moving forward. You know, Marshall on LR always likes to talk about, you know, the removal getting worse and how that affects limited. And maybe the pendulum is starting to swing back in the other direction. It certainly would seem that way. Now we're going to take a look at just some general archetype synergy support in the set, more of a brief overview of how to draft the set or how it was designed. So Wizards had a pretty great article from the guy that designed the draft format. So here's sort of just a breakdown of what was in that article, and we'll link this in the place where you download the episode. So there's five themes focused in the allied color pairs of a wedge. So wedges are the cons of Tarkir things like Abzan, white, black, green, Jeskai, white, blue, red, etc., and the five themes are most strongly found in the allied color pair of the wedges, which are blue-white, red-green, green-white, red-black, and blue-black. And then enemy color pairs in the wedge are softer in the theme. So red-white, black-white, blue-red, black-green, and blue-green are the enemy color pairs. And another thing to note about these themes is all of the themes are creature-based. So what does blue-white-red look like, Ethan? Blue, white, red is flyers. So you can sort of look at the gold uncommons in the colors for sort of what the signpost of what they're trying to do is. And the blue, white one is just like, this is the name of the game. It's a one blue, white, 
two three flyer that gives other flying creatures you control plus one plus one so just flying is the name of the game for the jeskai colors green red plus blue which is teamer colors that's going to be all elemental based so an elemental tribe and you can see both of the uncommons there referencing elementals so going to be building a tribe heavy creature deck white green black abzan that's going to be go wide so these are all cards that care about creatures entering the battlefield or maybe taking advantage of having a wider board and then casting something like an inspired charge to give your team plus two plus one that sort of thing and then red, black, plus white, that's Mardu colors. Those are going to be aggro with the most aggressive color pair in the set, supposedly being red, black. And then blue, black, and green, that's uh, going to be sort of just control with ETB effect. So a lot of creatures that are going to have things that you care about entering the battlefield, and maybe then you're recurring them through Black's recursion with Gravedigger and Soul Salvage or uh, other sort of ways to take advantage of that. And so when I was reading this article, I was thinking, well, are the five allied color pairs going to be just the strongest color pairs? And that's what you should always try to draft. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. So in this article, they outline that there are three different approaches that drafters can take when drafting through the way they design the set. So the first thing is you can draft any allied color pair, and that should have a strong theme that's loudly expressed on the cards. The second strategy you could use would be to draft a three-color strategy where you draft one of those cons of Tarkir wedges. Again, those wedges are going to revolve around ally color pair themes with the added support of the enemy color. So you could draft blue-white flyers and then add in red to get that third touch of a color that's all centered around flying. And then the third option would be to draft an enemy color pair deck. And those decks are going to end up being a cross between two themes because the enemy combination is going to have one color that's primary in one theme and secondary in the other. And the other color will be primary in one theme and secondary in the other. The other color was not. So if you think about blue, red as an example, blue is primary in flying and secondary in elementals and red is primary in elementals and secondary in flying. So maybe early on you pick up a blue elemental flyer and then you could go down and combine it with white to make a two color flying deck or red and white to make a three color flying deck, or you could combine it with red and green to make a three color elemental deck. You also have the choice though, to just pick up red cards and draft both flying matters and elementals matter. So the themes were all designed in a way that they overlap and interact with each other and interact with the enemy colors. So I think there's going to be a lot of flexibility, especially if you're going down the enemy color pair lanes. Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking about all this like flexibility of three color stuff, and we'll get to this in a second with how much fixing is in the format. But the fact that we have, and I don't think they're quite replacing basic lands, but will sometimes replace basic lands, a full cycle of 10 dual lands from Cons of Tarkir, which are enter the battlefield tapped lands that gain you a life and then tap for one of two colors. I think that's really going to enable these sort of like base two color decks with a light splash for some more synergy cards. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to drafting this because the person that designed M20 also was the lead on M25 and Ultimate Masters, both of which were insanely good draft sets. So I think this is going to have some pretty good carryover between archetypes and allow you to explore a lot as a drafter. All right, so we're going to take a look at a number of things that I think any limited player should know going into the format. And the first is what are the sweepers? Like, what are the board wipes that you have to be worried about? And thankfully, there are not that many. So there's really like, there's really just two. So one at rare is planar cleansing, which is three white, white, white sorcery to destroy all non-land permanents. 
that's like, you know, white's got a six mana sweeper. It's going to kill everything, but it's like a pretty big color requirement. So I wouldn't, I won't expect to see that a ton. And then there's flame sweep at uncommon in red. This is two in a red for an instant. It deals two damage to each creature your opponent controls and then each creature you control that doesn't have flying. So sort of like a, a pyroclasm type effect. And then there's flood of tears in blue, which doesn't really count. This is like four blue blue at rare for a sorcery that basically bounces all permanents back to their owner's hands or all, all non-land permanents back to their owner's hand. And then there's a clause that allows you to like then put one into play if you had like four things returned on your side. But there's really not a lot of sweepers. That really makes me excited. I feel like the limited formats I've liked the most are the ones where there aren't a lot of ways to punish people for affecting the board. Not having to think about time wipe is going to be very good. I agree. Moving on to X1 Punishers. So we know there are a lot of X1s running around, 24 of them to be precise. Mm -hmm. And the ways to punish them are plentiful as well. So first is raise the alarm, one in a white instant, make two one one soldier tokens. You're just never going to feel good attacking with X1s into open white mana. Heart Piercer Bow is an equipment at common that's colorless that everyone is going to have access to out of the sideboard if they draft it. Just two mana artifact, equip cost of one, and whenever the equipped creature attacks, deals one damage to target creature defending player controls. There are a lot of one threes running around. There's Master Splicer, three and a white for a one one. The ETBs brings a three three colorless golem along with it. Has the text, all golem creatures get plus one plus one, but most relevantly, just two bodies, and you're going to be able to trade off that 1-1 one, one with one of your opponent's X-1s. There's also Retributive Wand, three mana for an artifact that has the ability three tap Retributive Wand, deals one damage to any target, and when it's put into the graveyard from the battlefield, it deals five damage to any target. So sort of a prodigal sorcerer effect on a stick there, for those of you that remember that card. <laughs> or not on a stick, rather, on a wand. The stick usually references a creature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the main thing, I mean, so white seems to have a, a lot of ways to punish X1s and raise the alarm uh, mostly. But then the fact that there's these two colorless ways to just wreck one toughness creatures means that like maybe you don't don't get super punished in game one, but your opponents may have these from the sideboard and it's going to feel really bad if they can just like mow down your board. So I'm going to be very wary of X1s in this format. Like there are some that I'm obviously going to play because they're ridiculous. There's like one in blue that has three in a blue draw card that I will be playing, but I think you want to be very wary of playing one toughness creatures in this format. Moving on, we're going to take a look at incidental life gain. Uh, so life gain is concentrated in the Abzan colors in this set, and there's a bit of a life gain sub theme. So I'm not going to go over all the enablers. There's about a dozen of them, things that just like sort of gain life. And when they enter the battlefield, like there's a lot of stuff that's like, you know, Gift of Paradise is uh, the enchantment that, you know, allows you to fix your mana. And when it comes into play, you gain three. There's an angel in white that comes into play and gains four. There's a lot of that sort of stuff. And then a, a fair number of creatures that just have lifelink themselves. But three cards in particular that are life gain payoffs that I think you want to look at. We've got Epicure of Blood. It's back from M19. Four and a black for a four, four that says whenever you gain life, each opponent loses one life. As a chunk of life gain, like if you gain four life at a time, then your opponent's going to lose one life off of that gain four. It's not like a drain sort of thing, but still a payoff there. There's Bloodthirsty Aerialist. This is one black black for a two three flyer. It says whenever you gain life, you put a plus plus one counter on it. And there's Angel of Vitality, which is two and a white for a two two with flying. If you would gain life, you gain that much life plus one instead. And it has plus two plus two as long as you have 25 or more life. So those three cards, and that's really just in white black, those three cards are going to give 
give you uh, the payoffs for gaining life. But just the amount of incidental life gain here is always sort of a, a clue for us about how aggressive the format can be. You know, I think this was a big clue for us when we realized in uh, Hour of Devastation how good that uh, angel that came into play it was like a five mana, three, three angel that came into play and you gained three life. And we have a card very similar to that. That's the gain four life angel here. And there just seems to be a lot of incidental life gain that I feel like may punish aggro decks that are trying to, to get under you. Yeah, I'm very excited about the amount of incidental life gain running around. Mm -hmm. Next category we're going to take a look at is mana fixing, and boy, is there a lot of it. So the cons duels are replacing some amount of basics in the pack. I think the stat I saw in the Discord was four out of every 10 basics. Uh, so almost half the time, they're going to be replacing a basic, and those duels enter the battlefield tapped, and when they enter the battlefield, you gain a life. And for all 10 color pairs, they're going to be in there. There's Evolving Wilds that you can crack and sack and search for a basic land of any type that enters the battlefield tapped. There's Gift of Paradise, two and a green for the Enchant Land. Enchanted Land can tap for two mana of the same color of any color of mana, and when it ETBs, you gain three life. There's Prismite, blech, two mana for the two one that you can filter mana through for two mana. And there's Scuttlemutt, this is a new one, three mana for a 2-2 that can tap to add one mana of any color and can also tap to make target creature the color or colors of your choice until end of turn. Yeah, I'm really excited that Gift of Paradise is back at common. So looking through, a lot of the rares in this set are like very heavily mana intensive in terms of like red, red, red. Like there's, there's a lot of triple costed stuff that I feel like there is going to be some sort of five color green deck because Gift of Paradise is so good that like once you get to pack three, you're just going to get past all the busted rares that people can't cast. And I think you're going to be sort of hooked up that way. So that surprise to no one is a deck I'm excited to draft. Uh, we also want to take a look at mana sinks that also lets us know sort of like maybe how many lands you want to play. Like, do you have flood insurance, that sort of stuff. And there's a fair amount. I mean, I have about a little more than a dozen cards listed here in the show notes. A lot of it is like, you know, just sort of pumping the creature ability. So that's not that exciting. You know, like there's Pack Mastiff, which is uh, one in red for a 2-2. And you can pay one in a red to give it and all other creatures named Pack Mastiff you control plus one plus oh. So that's smoke breathing, patent pending. There's notable ones like Spectral Sailor we're talking about. That's the single blue one one flash flyer that has three and a blue draw card on it brightwood tracker is three and a green for a two four and you can pay five and a green to basically impulse for a creature look at the top four cards of your library pick a creature out of them and, and put it into your hand so you know there are these ways at common and uncommon to have mana sinks in your deck that can really generate a lot of value so i think that we're going to see maybe some more value engines and the life gain it all just seems like the format may be a little slower than a normal core set where you're just like turning your creature sideways Next thing we want to take a look at is flying and flying hate. So the thing that stands out immediately here that you might not know from these numbers, if you don't pay close attention to the crash courses, there are a lot more creatures at flying than usual in this set. And it'll be interesting to see what that does to the format. So normally we have about 12 ish creatures with flying. There are 24 creatures in total in M20 with flying, which is almost double the normal number we've got one that can gain flying and an aura and enchantment that grants flying. We have a creature at Uncommon in blue-white that gives an Anthem for all flyers, gives them all plus one, plus one, and one that makes them cheaper in blue. So Warden of Evos Isle is two in a blue for a 2-2 flyer, and all other cards with flying you control cost one less to cast. And so they're sort of concentrated in Esper colors, a little bit in red now since that's part of the Jeskai Wedge, but six cards that are white with flying, eight that are blue with flying, two in black, and three and a half-ish in red 
the half is only has flying on your turn. And all three of the Jeskai uncommons have flying. So the, the white, blue, the blue, red, and the white, red uncommons, all of those three cards have flying. And there's one artifact that's got flying, but it's kind of a clunker. It's not great. I would agree. And so as a response to all this flying that's floating around, there's also a little bit more hate floating around. So there's two spiders in green at common and one at uncommon plus plummet. And red has a common, probably sideboard card that deals three damage to a flyer at common. Yeah, it's a ton of flying. It really makes me nervous. But then I, when we got to green in the set review, I was like, it feels like green has all the tools to like just brick wall them with mammoth spider, netcaster spider, the uncommon, the plummets, like pretty crazy. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see if the amount of flying running around makes flying better than it has been, or if just the fact that it's more prevalent and there's more tools to fight it means it's a little less special than normal. I also wonder if plummet is main deckable in this format. Certainly bordering on close if there's this much flying running around. Yeah, and important to note that these stats are only taking into account commons and uncommons, not any rares or mythics. Right. And if you're in pod play, you know, maybe at a GP or whatever, and you're the green drafter, you can be pretty certain a lot of your opponents are going to have flyers. Right. Uh, The last thing we want to take a look at before we look at some specific cards is elementals. That's sort of like the theme of teamer. So there are 11 of these are at common, four red, three blue, four green, and three of these 11 cards care about other elementals. So synergize with or maybe our build arounds for elementals. Moving on to uncommons, there's eight. So all of the gold uncommons and then two red, two blue, one green. And then again, three of these eight care about other elementals. And then there's also the uncommon planeswalker. That's right. War of the Spark is sort of trickling in here. We have one uncommon planeswalker in Chandra, and she cares about elementals. She has like a plus to give all elementals, like plus two, plus oh until end of turn or something like that. And then nine are at rare and mythic. So there's this cycle of cavaliers. These are sort of the mana intensive, some of the mana intensive rares we were talking about. They're all like two xxx where x is that card's color so there's a cycle of those one of each color then an additional one in red and green and then one sultai and one teamer so a fair number of elementals and i think that's going to be one of the clearer synergy decks to draft in the set yeah and i think without further ado we should move on to arguing about grades which is one of my favorite things to do i can't wait let's let's kick it right off with white we're going to take a look at glaring aegis this is a single white for an aura enchant creature when glaring aegis enters the battlefield tap target creature and opponent controls enchanted creature gets plus one plus three so i gave this a d you gave it a c minus ben convince me what was the rule the person with the higher grade had to do yeah the you got yeah you got to talk me up So I think the last time we saw this card, everybody poo-pooed at the beginning, and it ended up being way better than it looked. And white is looking to be an aggressive color in the set. It's one of the colors with flyers. And I think putting plus one, plus three on your flyer, plus tapping down one of their flyers is going to be a way to push through a ton of damage. I think this card is going to be a fine include in most white decks that want to be beating down. I guess. I just don't know how to evaluate beating down cards. I feel like the removal is very good in this set and you're just setting yourself up to be two for one. And so really, this has to be just basically a a falter that's going to try and win you the game the turn you cast it. And I still feel like that's like a D-level card. Yeah, you're probably right. I'll go D+. All right. Moving on to our next card, we've got Griffin Sentinel. This is two and a white for a 1-3 with Flying and Vigilance. I gave this a D+. You gave this a C. Talk me up on it. I don't know. Just like 1-3 Flyers for two in Limited are always better than we think they are. 
And I know this is a mana more, and you get Vigilance, which I think is going to be relevant. I don't know. I feel like this is going to block a lot. It's not going to kill a lot, but it'll, you know, hold off two damage while getting in. And if you have any sort of flying synergy, which you probably will if you're in white, I think it's going to be a good card. So here's what I think. I think this doesn't have enough power to be a good attacker. And I also think it's not a great blocker. Like, I think it's going to block okay against other flying things, but I think it's just going to get rapidly outclassed on the ground. There's a lot of three mana, three twos running around, which it can't block very well. And I think ultimately that adds up to a card that's neither great at offense nor defense i think if you want to block flyers i think you just want to be green and have the spiders that actually kill the flyers when they block them and i think if you want to attack you want a flyer that's got more power than this i think this falls in some awkward middle ground where it's just not doing anything very well i don't know man i feel like this is i mean maybe the prevalence of flying and flying hate makes this much worse and maybe that's like where i need to readjust my evaluation of it but i feel like this can often just be like deal a damage every turn and like gain two life every turn because it's holding it can it bounces off a two power creature yeah yeah i don't know let me let me, let me ask you this you were, you were pretty hot <laughs> there it is the catchphrase uh, let me ask you this all right i'm i'm doomed what, what do you got for me so you were all hot and bothered by senate courier how does this compare to Senate Courier? It's just like a mediocre version of Senate Courier, right? Yeah, I was all hot and bothered by Senate Courier. Yeah, it's it's media. Well, it has one less toughness, but you never have to pay to give it vigilance. Right. And Senate Courier ended up being like, you only really wanted to play it in the high alert deck. I, I don't know. I just don't think this card is going to pull its weight. You're probably right. I'm going to stay at C, though. Moving on to Apostle of Purifying Light. This is one and a white for a 2-1, protection from black, and has the ability to pay two mana, exile target card from a graveyard. So I just gave this a strict sideboard grade. You gave this a D plus. Yeah, I think this is a bad card. I mean, I don't think I want to be playing two mana two ones in this format, but the fact that it has pro black makes me slightly more willing to put it in my deck. So I could see this being a 22nd, 23rd type card in your deck. I don't think it's a good card. I think it's going to be great out of the sideboard, but I don't think it's unreasonable to include it in your main deck. I guess that's fair. Yeah, I mean, the exile target card from a graveyard is also so relevant against black that I think this will be super good out of the sideboard against black decks. And I guess it's like totally fine. It's just he plays against like a red green opponent. I just feel like it's so embarrassing. Yeah, it's going to feel miserable, but you're going to feel that way about any two mana two one. But you wouldn't you wouldn't give a two mana two one an F, right? Like, so, I don't know. I think I think we're saying the same thing. Great out of the sideboard and you could put it in your main deck in a pinch, but you're hoping not to, I think. Next up, we've got Eternal Isolation. This is one and a white for a sorcery at Uncommon to put target creature with power four or greater on the bottom of its owner's library. Now, I gave this a sideboard grade. You gave this a C plus. Yeah, after doing the power and toughness stats, I'm a little less jazzed about this card. So I think the mana cost warrants a discussion about its main deck inclusion because normally Smite the Monstrous or something with this type of effect costs four. And I think two mana is a significant... Or three. It's like usually four for an instant, three for a sorcery. Maybe, yeah. So the creatures look to be smaller in this set. There aren't that many targets running around. I think I'm going to revise my my grade and go with you on sideboard all right sweet i I mean i think it's it's possible like just like this cards like this and plummet i think are good to keep an eye on especially when like it looks like things are being tweaked or like pushed for certain sets that we may want to evaluate these differently as the weeks progress but i think the fact that that's two mana when it's good it's going to be really good because you're going to get a significant mana advantage agreed moving on to blue i can't believe this ben fuddle befuddle is the first card we're going to talk about here this is two and a blue for an instant target creature gets minus four minus oh until end of turn draw a card so this is a i gave this a c you gave it a d plus but this is a card that i would give like that i would want to give my sort of augmentation of well i think the card is like a c but you don't need to pick it at that level i'm not embarrassed to play this in a deck one copy in a blue deck but i would never need to pick it highly 
I'm proud to play one copy of this in a blue deck. So yeah, I think that's maybe where we're maybe it's C power level, but you don't need to pick it like a C. Yeah. Ultimately, it's replaceable. It's filler. I think it I think it falls in the category of 22nd, 23rd type card, which is why I have it in the D range. Yeah, that's fair. But like it doesn't play out that way. Like it just feels flexible. Like sometimes it's not that hard to get a two for one with this card. Yeah, I agree. And it's certainly I think combat with all of the themes being based around creatures i think combat's going to be happening early and often so maybe puddle's going to be even better in this set next up we've got captivating gyre this is four blue blue for a sorcery return up to three target creatures to their owner's hands i gave this a c plus you gave us a d plus so i just am a sucker for this type of effect yes ever you are. since like scars of mirrodin block and there's a card that was four and a blue instant speed return two target creatures of their owner's hand. I don't remember the name of it, but I fell in love with that card and that effect during that block. So I might be a little high on this card, but it is powerful. Sort of thinking about this like Rivers Rebuke, where it was four blue blue return all creatures target opponent controls their owner's hand. Like there's a lot of times your opponent doesn't have more than three creatures. And that was a really powerful card. Sometimes this isn't going to do exactly what you want. But the turn you cast this, it's going to have a very large impact you're going to be getting a mana advantage. I think the fact that this is three creatures and not two is a pretty significant difference. Yeah, so the River's Rebuke comparison makes me feel a little better about it, but the card that I keep thinking about is Swirling Torrent from Ravnica Allegiance, which was five and a blue. You bounced a creature, and then you could put a creature on top of its owner's library. And I think that's a better card than this because you net a card of advantage, but it was so hard to make that card good. I was way higher on that card in the set review, and then seeing it in play, I just... It's six mana is a lot, and you really have to have the board advantage backup to make it not just a defensive clunky unsummon. Right, but can't you imagine this in your blue flyers deck? You've got a flying team, you bounce three of their things, and there's just no chance they can ever come back. And I think three is a big deal compared to two because you really bottleneck your opponent's mana then. They're not getting stuff back out in a timely manner. I don't know. It's going to be close. I think power level is there, and I think it's a card to keep an eye on. That's fair, yeah. Next up, I'm very excited to talk to you about this one, and I hope this is just a case of Semulin talking you down on this card. If not, we might have to think about canceling the podcast. I don't know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so next up, we've got Scholar of the Ages. This is five blue blue for a three three. When it ETBs, return up to two target instant and or sorcery cards from your graveyard to your hand. This card has Ethan Sachs written all over it. So I gave us a B, you gave us a D. Tell me why you're so low on it. There are two reasons. One, it's seven mana, which is a lot, I think. It's seven mana. You have to have the setup for it, right? You're not going to be happy with this returning one, this being a salvager of secrets. You really want to make sure you've returned two. So it has a pretty high setup cost. You have to like not be dead. You then have to like make sure you have the value of getting to cast the two spells that you get back and not being dead. And also there isn't a spells matter theme in the set. I'd be much more excited if like blue red was doing a spells thing, but it's not. I obviously like want to play this card and I'm like excited to loop it with soul salvages or whatever, but I think it's too expensive. Right. That's the scenario I was going to paint for you. Just imagine Scholar of the Ages coming be down. Dead. I will owe three that Salve. draft. <laughs> no. And you're going to have soul salvage and you're going to have murder in your graveyard and you're going to pick them both up and you're going to feel like a god. But then I'm tapped out and my opponent kills me and I'm not able to cast soul salvage or murder again. No, this card is oozing power level. I think this is going to be a premier uncommon in that blue black deck. Oof. I mean, I hope you're right, but I am skeptical that there's time for all that. That is so much. That's like turn 10. But we're talking about the format being slow and grindy, incidental life gain, running around. This card is so powerful. It's very powerful. I agree. I, I think you are going to be joining me on this card in the near future. 
I hope so. I really do. Moving on to black, we've got Fathom Fleet Cutthroat. You give this a C, I give this a D plus. This is a reprint, three and a black for a three three. And when it ETBs, you can destroy target creature and opponent controls that was dealt damage this turn. Again, like I feel like this is a case of I feel like this card plays out like a C, but you don't need to pick it. You pick it like it's a D plus. Yeah, I could see this being slightly better with black having a go wide token synergy a little bit also because it makes it to where your opponent has to really think about blocking your 1-1 tokens that you've generated or whatever, and maybe you get them a little more often than we saw in the also, past. Heart Piercer Bow and Retributive Wand. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Retributive Wand, you're talking about seven mana, but Heart Piercer Bow has yeah, me a little bit more excited. You're telling me seven mana is no problem in this format. <laughs> it's not. I'm going to get to seven mana on turn three. It's going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm not married to giving this card a C. I've just been impressed by... I was impressed by this card in Exelon. Like, it was overperformed. I'm very impressed by Vraska's finisher, though I understand that that's, like, better in War of the Spark because you can kill Planeswalkers with it. But I just think Fathomfleet Cutthroat is probably going to be better than it looks. I think the mana extra from Vraska's finisher, and I was not even that excited about Vraska's finisher in War of the Spark. I'm going to stay where I'm at on this card. That's fair. Next up, we've got Feral Abomination. This is another reprint, five and a black for the five, five Death Touch. You gave us a C minus. I gave us a D. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know if this is, this feels slightly above replacement level just because it's so big in a color that doesn't get the big thing. Like usually, I mean, I guess black gets, black has a card that's basically like a five mana, three, three and a two, two tacked on. This feels like pretty big for the format. Just brick walls everything on the ground and then it's pretty tough to like block can't really double block it i think it's above replacement level i think i think c minus i'm gonna stick with i could go up to d plus i don't think i'm ever going to be happy with this card in my six drop slot yeah i, I don't know i i guess yeah I'm, I'm maybe i'm not sure it feels like a 22nd 23rd type card to me that's fair i'll go down to d plus next up we've got soul salvage two and a black return up to two target creatures from your graveyard to your hand you give us a c i give us a d plus I want a copy of this in all of my black decks. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I'm too low on this card. And I think the fact that blue black is ETB value creatures, and this is going to be potentially rebuying you some two for ones, that sort of thing is going to make this card go up in value. I think it's going to be a a good card in that blue black deck. And I think I'm coming up to C as well. And just in the context of talking about Soul Salvage, I wanted to point out a card that as I kept looking at the cards in black, kept going up and up for me. Gorging Vulture, which is two and a black for a 2-2 flyer, and it comes into play and you like mill the top four cards of your library, and then you gain a life for each creature card that was milled that way. The gain life part isn't that important, but I think the fact that this gets stuff into your graveyard without creature combat, that was one of the things that kept coming up for me with Soul Salvage and Dominaria, that like I didn't want to be relying on getting a two-for-one from just things dying. Like I needed other ways to get stuff into my graveyard to ensure that I could get two creatures back. So I think Gorging Vulture is an important card to what Black is trying to do. And I think in particular, it's important to make sure that your soul salvage has value. Moving on to red, we're going to take a look at Maniacal Rage as a reprint. It's one in red for an enchantment aura. Enchanted creature can't block and it gets plus two, plus two. I gave this an F, you gave this a D. Yeah, this card's playable. You can use it in an aggressive red deck to remove your opponent's last key blocker out of the way. Plus two, plus two is a large amount. You could maybe get it out of range of some of the damage-based removal. I don't love this card, but I think it's playable. Yeah, I guess I guess it's it's an Ethan F. I will never play this card, but I suppose it is playable. That is true. I hate this effect, and, I, and it just makes me so nervous with how good removal is, but I guess if there is like a blisteringly fast red X deck, it'll be good there. Next up, we've got Flame Sweep. This is two in a red for an instant. Flame Sweep deals two damage to each creature except for creatures you control with flying. So I gave this a B. You gave this a Synergy B-. 
What's the synergy here? Yeah, I think I want to make sure my toughness lines up well against this. Like I want to have a lot of X3s and or I want to have a lot of creatures with flying in my deck before I put Flame Sweep in my deck. Yeah, I, maybe I'm way too high on this card. This just seems really strong to me. I think it's going to kill a lot of creatures in the format, but I think it's going to kill a lot of your own creatures unless you build the right deck around it. That's why I gave it a synergy. And I don't think I want to pick this and then build that deck. I think I want to be in like blue red flyers or something like that. And then I'm happy to pick up a flame sweep and put it in my deck. Next up, we're moving on to green. We've got the cutest card in the set, Ferocious Pup. This is two and a green for an 0-1 and brings along a 2-2 wolf token with it. You give us a C plus, I give us a D plus. Yeah, I'm too high on this card. I don't think it's a D plus, but it's not a C plus. The, the, this card, I just like, you know, you see three mana brings two bodies, blah, blah, blah. But like, it's basically just a 2-2. The 0-1 is irrelevant. Yeah, three mana, two, two is garbage, right? So we sh it should be in the D range. I'm with you at D plus. All right, next up, we've got Healer of the Glade. This is single green for a one, two. When it ETBs, you gain three life. So I get the sideboard grade, you get this an F. And I think this is a very strong card out of the sideboard. If there is some sort of like, I think there are going to be people trying to build some sort of like red, white aggro deck thinking this is M19. They're going to be playing a bunch of X ones. And this just laughs in the face of those decks. I'm going to be thrilled to have two or three of these in my sideboard and get to bring those in against aggro decks. I could see that sideboard. Wolfkin Bond is up next. This is four and a green for an aura. When it enters the battlefield, you create a 2-2 two, two green wolf creature token. An enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two. I give this a C. You give this a D plus. I, but this card looks good to me. Isn't Knightly Valor a good card? I mean, it's, it ranges in how good it is from set to set. But I think one of these is like a C-level card in your deck. It looks so clunky to me. So the fact that this is five mana and there's also Silverback Shaman at five mana and green, yeah. which is three green green for a five four trample. And when it dies, you draw a card. One of those cards is insanely powerful and never situational. And the other one's like kind of OK and situational. I just can't ever imagine wanting to put Wolfkin Bond in my deck over Silverback Shaman, which I think is a pretty big knock against it. And Mammoth Spider, too, probably. Right. Like, I just think there's plenty of options and you don't need to have a situational aura where if your opponent has mana up or a single blue for unsummon or whatever, like you have to, there's instant speed removal. There's murder. There's unsummon. There's ways to punish. You can't just jam Wolfkin Bond safely. I don't know. This card seems situational to me, and I think there's better options at five in green. All right. Uh, you talked me down to C minus. We're going to talk about this card. Talk about these cards every time. They <laughs> but come I, feel out like we've, I feel like we've flip flopped. Like, who's no, we have on not. it several times? Uh, no, I'm always the one. I, you love these cards. So we're talking about Overcome. This is three green green for a sorcery. <laughs> Creatures you control get plus two, plus two, and gain trample until end of turn. I gave this a D, Ben gave it a C. Okay, so hear me out. I have learned my lesson <laughs> that these cards aren't as good, but green is going wide in this set. Green-white's theme is tokens. So it feels like if there's a theme of tokens in the set, surely this has got to be the set where Overcome is at least a C. So then you got to be playing your little pup. You got to be playing Ferocious Pup. That's the only way green has to make tokens. Right, you play Ferocious Pup, you play Raise the Alarm, but there's a whole color pair that's dedicated to wanting to go wide. That color pair has to want Overcome. If it doesn't, I don't even know. <laughs> I feel like the thing about Overcome when it was in Hour of Devastation wasn't really that you couldn't go wide, though I guess you know there's, there was less of that theme there than it was here, though green-white was an aggro deck in that format, and a good one at that. But the pro I feel like the problem was that plus two plus two was just much smaller than plus three plus three for overrun right so here's the thing with overcome we all came in super hot because overrun the, the common wisdom was that it was busted and overcome was just going to be underrun or whatever and it was still going to be great so we all came in hot and then it was worse than we thought 
And I think everybody overcorrected on it a little bit. And I do think it looks like it has more of a home in the context of the set. So I was trying to think, okay, my first instinct was what you said was D. This card wasn't good. But then I thought about the context of the set and I thought, well, maybe if there's go wide, I should give it a chance here. So I'm not writing it off immediately. Maybe it's a green white C. I can see that. I think you need to think about it as a green white gold card. And even then, it's not like a reason to draft that deck. Like you're still just giving it a C. Right. So Synergy C? Maybe Synergy C. Next up, we've got Overgrowth Elemental. This is two and a green for a 3-2. When it ETBs, put a plus one plus one counter on another target elemental you control. Whenever another creature you control dies, you gain one life. If that creature was an elemental, put a plus one plus one counter on Overgrowth Elemental. Yeah, my grade's wrong here. I'm on Synergy C plus you're on B minus. I think it's like probably build around B, but I don't think this. you're just picking this at a B minus level. Now, this makes me want to draft elementals. So yeah, so build around B minus, build around B. Yeah, I'm on build around B. This this card's pretty powerful, I think. Moving on to colorless, we've got one difference here. This is Scuttlemutt, three mana for the 2-2 that can tap to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. And you can also tap it to make target creature the color or colors of your choice. So going to be relevant if you have some of those color hosers. You give us a D plus, I give us a C. So I think the fact that this is sort of going to be able to ramp you and or fix you in a set where you're incentivized to splash is fine. Not a great card in that respect, but I think the fact that it also lets you main deck the color hosers, which are close to main deckable anyway, and I think you're supposed to pick them highly because they're so powerful out of the sideboard. So we're talking about that cycle of uncommons that just do busted things, like the white one, exiles, target black or red permanent for two mana. If you're picking those highly, which I think you should, because they're going to be great when you sideboard them in, this lets you turn those cards happily into main deck cards, and I think that's really powerful. Okay, I did not think about that at all. I think that's really, really cool. My problem with this is that a three mana two two that I'm not interested in getting in combat at all makes me a little wary, especially with shock running around, able to get out tempoed there. So I'd just be much happier if this were Manolith most of the time, I think, just so I could one tap it, the turn it came into play, and two, that I didn't have to worry about it getting killed. So it just how fragile it is makes me wary of it. But that is a really good point that you make about being able to turn the color hosers into just like kill whatever you want spells. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, I think it's close. I think it's interesting to keep an eye on. I think the truth is going to lie. One of us is going to be right. I think we're just going to have to play with the card in the context of the set to see. Yeah, for sure. Look at some uh, gold uncommons here. Moldervine Reclamation, three black green for an enchantment. Whenever a creature you control dies, you gain one life and draw a card. So I gave this a D, you gave it a C. Yeah, this enchantment was difficult for me to put a grade on because if you get it going, the power level is definitely there. There aren't sacrifice outlets in the set, really, which I think is a bit of a knock against it. If there were sacrifice outlets, I think this would be a slam dunk. But as it is, I think this card is pretty powerful like i can just imagine it's it's hard to evaluate right because sometimes it's going to do stone nothing but sometimes it's going to be stone unbeatable too depending on what the board state looks like right so i don't know i think this is a very situationally powerful card but i do think the power level is there so i just kind of copped out by giving it a c i feel i mean we're looking at this card we're looking at overrun i feel like ferocious pup c plus level card (laughs) maybe i mean for these cards to be good i feel like ferocious pup has to be playable that's true i wasn't really thinking about i wasn't really thinking about ferocious pup in the context of go wide so maybe that bumps it up a little bit yeah i don't know yeah i mean i love this card this has ethan written all over it it's very dirtily but the fact there's no sacrifice outlet in black makes me pretty bummed about it 
Yeah, I could certainly see it being a D. I, I just can imagine board states where it's really, really good, though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, the I always sort of default to low grades on cards that have these big fluctuations where it's like, yeah, this could be absurd, but also the floor of this card is like you mulliganed. Yeah, I'll join you in D, D plus, but I, I, I think the, the conversation is way more important than the grade about the card. Agreed. I, and honestly, I could see it being more of a sideboard card. Like you pick it up and then you're in a matchup that's gonna be, although... It's core set like creatures are going to be getting into combat, right? That was the other thing. I sort of forgot about that in my argument, but that was the other thing I ended up settling on. Yeah. The problem that I have with this card is that it's the situations that I think of are the situations where I'm like, I just wish this was a creature. Those situations make me so nervous for putting this in my deck. Right. But I can imagine a black green deck where, you know, you just cast like some spiders and you turtle up behind your spiders and then your opponent is just forced to two for one themselves over and over and over i think there is like a black green defensive style of deck with a lot of those reach spiders where you just force your opponent to get into creature combat and this card's going to be very powerful all right well let's keep an eye on this card because i'd like to play with it and i'd like it to be good next up we've got risen reef this is one blue green for a one one when risen reef or another elemental enters the battlefield under your control look at the top card of your library if it's a land card you may put it onto the battlefield tapped if you don't put the card onto the battlefield put it into your hand you gave us a C plus, I give us a B. I think this card oozes power again. I don't know why that phrase has crept into my vocabulary in the last two minutes, but this card's very strong. When I first read it, I thought it was just it. And then the second time I read it, I was like, oh, it's it and every other elemental, which is really powerful. It turns itself, itself is intrinsically a two for one because you're either going to get a ramp a land or you're going to get a draw card. Mm -hmm. And then every other elemental you cast after that is also a guaranteed two for one. That's really powerful. Yeah, so maybe it's a I'll give it a build around B like I, I'm happy to build around this, but I don't think it itself is a B level card. Yeah, the I mean, doing it once is still good. Yeah, probably not a B level card if it's the only elemental in your deck. But blue yeah. green is the elemental color pair. I right. mean, I think if you're doing that, you're going to have elementals in your deck. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and it makes you want to like veer in that direction even more. Uh, last one here is Sky Knight Vanguard. This is red-white for a 1-2 with flying. Whenever it attacks, you create a 1-1 one, one white soldier creature token that's tapped and attacking. I gave this a C minus. You gave this a C plus. I love that. You went into the set review and you're like, I'm just like a half letter grade lower than you on every card. But you're you're much higher on these cards than I am. Yeah, especially when we've got grading differences. I think the ones where we didn't disagree, I was a little more pessimistic. But yeah, some of the ones where we disagree, I've been a lot higher than you. This card seems fine. I think probably less excited about it, thinking about it in the context of there's going to be a lot of flyers running around and a lot of them are 2-2. So maybe it's going to be hard just to get this card in in the air. I think you might be right on C-. minus. The thing is, is that even if this gets in once, it's not like it snowballs. Even if there's a scenario where the one one like like, yeah, you get in. So you make the one one and then you get to get to untap with it. But like the next time you attack with this and I let's say I don't have a flying blocker, I'm going to have a ground blocker that can deal with the one one, because if I don't by that point, you're just winning anyway. So Sky Knight Vanguard is the cruel celebrant of the set and we're just calling it now. Wait, what's cruel celebrant? The the white black one two. Yes. Yes, this is cruel <laughs> celebrant. This is gar this card is bad. Like Travis kept trying to talk to me, talk me up on it. Like, well, you know, people are going to be 
blocking your one one with a bigger creature and then use combat tricks and it's like yeah but then so you're just left with a one one though those aren't good cards really and this doesn't really like snowball in any sort of effective way i don't like this card yeah the more i think about it the more i think it might be cruel seller i think the stats just might not get there i think one two flyer might be too small with as many flying creatures and reach creatures as there are running around yeah all right, Sky Knight Vanguard is the cruel celebrant. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> uh, we take a look at a land here. This is Cryptic Caves. Taps for a colorless mana, and you can pay one tap, sack it, draw a card, but you can activate this ability only if you control five or more lands. I gave this an F. You gave this a C. I think you are off base here, my friend. So would you? let me ask you this. There's the catchphrase again. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready for it this time. Would you not play an off-color canopy land in an like an 18-land Modern Horizons deck? I don't think so. Oh, I definitely would. If we're talking about the set being slow in the context of things and that you're going to have time to develop your game plan, if you've got cons duels, if you've got good mana, I think including a card like this is just powerful in your deck. Yeah, I think if this is an 18 land format, I'll be much happier about this. But as it stands, I'm not sure that that's true. And I'm I just I want to really caution people. I feel like it is our responsibility to really caution people about putting colorless lands in their deck even in a two-color deck. And I think grading at C is a little irresponsible. Yeah, maybe that's true. Maybe I'm seeing... I don't think it's going to make my deck often, but when it does, I think it's going to be a C power level. And I think that's about where I'm going to pick it. Like, I'm going to pick it over on the off chance that it's going to make my deck because when I, when it does make my deck, I think it's going to be very good. But I agree with what you say. I think people are already generally irresponsible with their mana bases and we should probably not encourage that. But I think I understand building mana bases and I do see decks where i'm going to want a crypt of caves and where it's going to be powerful so let me ask you this <laughs> how often did you play zalfrin void and dominaria that was the colorless land that scried one when it came into play scrying one is a much different deal than drawing an actual card but then you're but you're sacrificing this i understand that okay how often did you play zalfrin void never never and I know that drawing a card is much better than scrying one, but they're closer and you never played that card. I think this is going to make your deck like so rarely. Uh, I think with the con, yeah, maybe. And with it being three colors and you being incentivized to splash, it's possible. I do think power level is there and I'm trying to recognize that. I'm going to move. I'll go to D minus here, but I think I, I really want us to keep track of the times that this makes our main deck. All right, I, I'll go down to D. I think it's going to make my deck less often than I think, probably. Okay, and folks, please, please build mana bases responsibly. <laughs> please. <laughs> time to rank the commons and uncommons, baby. Hey, you know, we're mostly in line this time around. Are we? I haven't I haven't really looked at yours. I, I looked at yours after I did mine, but I didn't. I, there were a couple colors I saw. We were almost identical, but yeah. Uh, so we'll take a look at white first. In the number three slot, I have Dawning Angel. This is four and a white for a 3-2 flyer, when it ETBs, you gain four life. Yeah, I, that was close to making my top three list, and I would not be shocked if that ended up in my top three. I ended up coming down on it a little bit because it only has the two toughness and yeah. shock is in the format. I mm -hmm. think that's a pretty big knock against it. You're going to feel terrible when your opponent shocks this. But, I mean, the four life gain is even more than the Angel of Enduring Hope that we saw in Hour of Devastation that ended up being a very good card. So I think it's going to boil down to how much you need the life gain and how good this card stacks up against the format. So could certainly see it being in the top white commons. 
My number three was Griffin Protector, three and a white as a mana cheaper and a two, three flying body. I think that does not die to shock is why I ended up on this card over the angel. And I think white wants to go wide with raise the alarm. I think this is going to be super tricky. I think you're going to be nervous to block this when you're playing against white decks because raise the alarm turns this into a four or five at instant speed, which I think is really powerful. And I think those cards want to go in the same style of decks. Yeah, I have Griffin Protector as my number two white common. Ooh, nice. My number two is Raise the Alarm, one on a white for the instant, make two one one white soldier tokens at instant speed at common. Uh, and my number one, I assume, is yours as well, which is Pacifism, one on a white for the aura enchanted creature can't attack or block. Yeah, I, I like Raise the Alarm in the top comments quite a bit in white. I think go wide is prevalent and i don't think there's tons of ways to enable it and i think raise the alarm is one of the better ones i think the synergy with griffin protector is real so raise the alarm is my sort of hot take in the white commons and i gave an honorable mention to steadfast sentry this is two and a white for the three two vigilance and when it dies you put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control i could see this being annoying as well certainly you know in the white flyers deck getting a counter on your flying thing is a pretty big deal. So I could see this cracking the top commons as well. No way. If Raise the Alarm doesn't quite get there. I don't think so. It's Spinal Centipede. It, that card's fine, but it's like a C minus. Yeah, you're right. C. Eh, it's Spinal Centipede. Okay. I think, so here, here's what I think. I think Raise the Alarm should be my number three over Dawning Angel, but I don't think I'm taking Raise the Alarm over Griffin Protector. Yeah, that's fair enough. I just think two mana plays are so much more important than four mana plays. And it has rel- relevance later in the game as like it can be tricksy. It's good if you're doing the go wide thing. Yeah, I could see that. Moving on to the uncommons, I think we are in line here. Uh, number two, I've got Ancestral Blade, one and a white for an equipment. When it enters the battlefield, you make a one one white soldier creature token. Then you attach this to it. Equipped creature gets plus one plus one and it has an equip cost of one. Yeah, so this is a 2-2 two, two that dies into... Short sword. Trusty- yeah, short sword. I was going to say trusty machete, wrong equipment. <laughs> Wrong blade. So I think that's just a powerful card. A 2-2 that dies into a relevant card, I think, is a pretty big deal. Top uncommon, I've got Master Splicer. I think you do as well. It's three and a white for the 1-1. One, one. It brings along a 3-3 three, three colorless golem token with it and has the text golem creatures you control get plus one plus one, which is only relevant for this card. I think that's the only golem in the set, but still four mana mm-hmm. for a 1-1 one, one and a 4-4 four, four is a big deal. Prismite's a golem. Oh, get out of here. Yeah. Two mana, three, two? Come on. <laughs> uh, looking at blue, holy cow, these commons. So at number three, I think we're I think we're all lined up here. Number three, I have sleep paralysis. This is the removal spell three and a blue for an enchantment. When sleep paralysis enters the battlefield, you tap enchanted creature and it doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. Number two, frost links two and a blue for the two two elemental cat. So got some elemental synergy there. And when it ETBs, you tap down target creature and opponent controls and it doesn't untap during their untap step. And holy power creep, Cloud Kinsir at number one. This is two and a blue for a 2-1 flyer when it ETBs draw a card. Yeah, a question for you. I saw some people in the Lords of Luna Discord that had Unsummon in their top blue commons. What do you think about that? I think Unsummon is a card that I want to give the grade of one, diminishing returns, and two, will play out at this level, but you don't need to pick it at this level because I don't think you want more than one. Like, I want one in all my blue decks. I don't know if I want more than one. And, like, I just can't see taking the first Unsummon over these three cards. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel as well, except I was thinking about it and blue black being ETB, being able to rebuy your own ETB effects might be cute in response to removal. And there's the black 2-2 that when it attacks, you draw a card and lose a life, like being able to push that through early might be a way to snowball. So I could see a world where Unsummon ends up in the top blue commons, but I sort of... Over Sleep Paralysis, maybe. I don't think it's going to be better than Cloud Conceer or Frost Lynx, but Sleep Paralysis might be clunky enough 
that unsummon cracks the top three commons. But for now, I'm going to start by picking sleep paralysis over it. Because like you said, I don't think I want to end up with three unsummons. I think one, I'm very happy. Two, I'm fine to play and probably won't play the third. Agreed. Moving on to the blue uncommons in the number two slot, I've got spectral sailor this is single blue for the one one flash flyer and has the activated ability three and a blue draw card yeah and at number one we've got air elemental it was good in alpha it's good now three blue blue for a four four flyer and it's an elemental Ooh, hot dog i didn't even think about that <laughs> moving on to the black commons in the number three slot i've got agonizing siphon this is three and a black for a sorcery deals three damage to any target and you gain three life i also have that in my number three slot this is my hot take of the format ben number two black common i have gorging vulture this is the two and a black two two flyer etbs you mill four and then gain a life for each creature card put into your graveyard this way yeah, that's my honorable mention. I wanted to get that into the top black commons, but I ended up deciding on Agonizing Siphon over it, but they both fill similar roles, and I could see that pushing Agonizing Siphon out, except the creatures are so small that I think Agonizing Siphon is going to kill most things, albeit not at a mana advantage, but the three life gain I think is going to be really relevant as well. We were talking about Smiting Helix, which was an uncommon in Modern Horizons, and that's what this is, and we were talking about like just take it even if you can't flash it back because it's so good. So yeah, I think Agonizing Siphon is going to be great. In my number two, I've got Audacious Thief. This is a card I initially was pretty low on when I read it the first time, and then after thinking about it some more, I really came up on it. It's two and a black for a 2-2, and when it attacks, you draw a card and you lose a life. If you think about this as a scroll thief that doesn't need to hit, you're pretty excited about it. You know, if your opponent plays a 1-3, great, you can attack into that. If you've got removal or interaction of any kind, you can force it through. Having this on the battlefield forces your opponent to leave back a blocker. I just think this is a highly impactful card, and once this hits the board, it fundamentally changes the way the game plays out. I think it's going to get better in multiples because you can sort of start to craft your deck around it snowballing. This text is very close to Phyrexian Rager and Blade Juggler, all cards that have been very good, and I like this at number two. I really like that card as well. And number one, probably best common in the set, is Murder, one black black, destroy target creature at instant speed. Moving on to the black uncommons in my number two slot, I've got Bloodthirsty Aerialist. This is one black black for a two three flyer. Whenever you gain life, put a plus one plus one counter on Bloodthirsty Aerialist. I have Disfigure at my number two. This is single black for an instant to give target creature minus two minus two until end of turn. Yeah, those are close. That's sort of a toss up for me. I could certainly see Disfigure being better than Bloodthirsty Aerialist. Number one, I've got Gravedigger, three and a black for the two two when ETBs return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Yeah, that's my number one as well. Gravedigger is so good. Moving on to red. My number three red common is Pack Mastiff. This is the red catch em all. One and a red for 2 2, and it has smoke breathing, but for all Pack Mastiffs you control. That's actually my number two red common. In the number three slot, I've got Chandra's Outrage. Two red red for the instant, deals four damage to target creature and two damage to that creature's controller. Yeah, I have Chandra's Outrage at number two, and I am assuming we both have Shock at number one, which is red for an instant, deal two to any target. Yep, that is my number one as well. I think Past Mastiff, just as a two-drop, edges out Chandra's Outrage a little bit for me because Chandra's Outrage is pretty mana-intensive, and I don't know. It, it's close. I could certainly see Chandra's Outrage edging out Pack Mastiff, but yeah. I think that's going to be context-dependent as well. Mastiff is so good. It's Fathom Fleet Firebrand on steroids. Yeah, it's it's really powerful. Moving on to the uncommons in the number two slot, I've got Mask of Immolation. This is one and a red. When it ETBs, you make a 1-1 red elemental creature token, then attach Mask of Immolation to it. Equipped creature has sacrificed this creature. It deals one damage to any target and an equip cost of two. So this is Mortar Pod. It's back. Yeah, the really cool thing about this card, so Active Treason is in the set at common, and this is your repeatable sacrifice outlet, and it's in the same color as Active Treason, which excites me. Ooh, nice. 
But now that I don't have that Pyroclasm card in my top commons, I get to make room for my, I think is my favorite card in the set, Rapacious Dragon. This is three red red for a three three with flying. And when it comes into play, you make two treasure tokens. So it's basically a three mana three three flyer, but it also like is going to enable splashes. I'm very excited about this card. That is hyperbole at its finest. <laughs> it is definitely not a three mana three three flyer. It sure it is. This card is clunky. It's fine. No, it I mean, isn't. It's a- this card is not clunky. This card is great card's fine all right moving on to the number one i've got chandra novice pyromancer this is three in a red five loyalty planeswalker plus one elementals you control get plus two plus oh until end of turn minus one add red red minus two chandra novice pyromancer deals two damage to any target which as we know kills a lot of things in this format yeah this card is nutty this is better than a lot of uncommon walkers we saw in war of the spark Yep, very powerful. All right, checking out green. Number three, common silverback shaman. This card is ridiculous. This is three green green for a 5-4 with trample. When it dies, you draw a card. Super powerful. Number two, I've got rabid bite. Sorcery, one and a green. And target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. I've got that at my number one. My number two is a Leafkin Druid, which is one and a green for an 0-3. It taps add green. If you control four or more creatures, you add green, green instead. And it's an elemental. Leafkin Druid is my number one. I feel like that's a bit of role reversal for us. Usually you're higher on the ramp cards than I am. Yeah, I usually want these to be number one. I just think even like in M19, like when I wanted Druid of the Cow to be the best green common, and maybe it was, I just think Rabid Bite. Green doesn't get anything else. It doesn't have any like even uncommon like creature that's big that comes into play in fights like this is its only way to interact and i think rabbit bite has to be taken accordingly yeah i could certainly see that i'm just pretty excited about ramping leafkin druid into silverback shaman oh yeah that's gonna be gross moving on to the green uncommons in the number two slot i've got woodland champion there are a lot of contenders for the green number two slot ended up settling on this guy this was one and a green for a 2-2. Whenever one or more tokens enter the battlefield under your control, put that many plus one plus one counters on Woodland Champion. I'm just really hot on Raise the Alarm right now, and I think this card is excellent in tandem with that. Yeah, I've got Barkhide Troll. This is green green for a 2-2. It enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it, and you can pay one to remove a plus one plus one counter from it to give it hexproof until end of turn. And at number one, I think we are the same here. One green green, Thrashing Brontodon, 3-4 Dinosaur, and you can pay one, sacrifice it, destroy target artifact or enchantment. Yeah, keyword big. Super efficient and main deck artifact enchantment hate. Very powerful. I think that's the most in line we've ever been. Maybe. I mean, and it's going to happen more in a core set, right? right? Because it's a little more straightforward and easier to evaluate cards. But I do think the draft experience with the amount of overlap and just the way they set up the wedges and the allied enemy color pairs and being able to bob and weave in there. I think this core set's going to be deeper as a draft experience than most core sets we've seen. Yeah, I agree. I'm excited. I'm very much looking forward to playing this format tomorrow. Yeah, this just worked out perfectly. Getting to talk about M20 all day today and getting to jam it all day tomorrow on Arena. For sure. All right, it's a great place to wrap us up. Good luck crushing your M20 pre-releases and drafts when you get to them. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Come check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I am at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback or questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
the power and toughness of creatures at common. So there are 58 total creatures at common in the set. And I was compiling these stats. Well, nobody needs to know that story. Anyway, that was brutal. <laughs> Just about to tell a bad beat story that nobody wants to listen to. <laughs> ben, Ben's life is full of bad beat stories. Yeah, I just perfect timing. Just talk an M19 today and get a jam it all Stop day tomorrow. Stop calling it M19. Oh, dang it. <laughs> well, now we know how it happened in the show notes. 